Hello everyone and welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Each week I will review one entry in the bibliography of Stephen King in the chronological order of publication. And this week, I'm not doing any of that. Uh, this week I am back to do a couple things. I'm here to say Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays uh, to everyone listening. I'm here to say Happy New Year, the whole nine yards. I hope that everyone is enjoying the this season uh, wherever you may be, in whatever corner of the multiverse you happen to be existing in, whatever beam you are living under, I hope that you are enjoying this time with your family and your friends um, and that uh, Santa Claus, the good version of the Crimson King, is is good to you this year. So guys, um, I just want to thank everyone for, for being patient. For everyone that's tuning in for the first time, welcome to the Stephen King cast. Like I said, this is usually one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. What I typically like to do or what I've done before in the past, um, and I met my mission statement, was to go through Stephen King's uh, bibliography in the chronological order of publication. Did that. And then uh, what I've been doing is a mix between catching up on some uh, adaptations that I never got around to reviewing the first time around, some short stories that I never got to the first time around. Um, uh, this was a huge year for Stephen King with it and the Netflix movies, so I, I've really been focusing on that. The Dark Tower too talked about that. Uh, so for for those of you tuning in for the the first time, just thanks, and um, everyone that has been around for a while, just thank you for being patient because I know that I have not been consistent over the last few months. So when we last checked in, it was for the Stephen King and Owen King collaboration, Sleeping Beauties, which was the previous episode. And so what I just, I really want to make something very, very clear to anyone listening because I, I don't want to put anybody off. I don't want to put anyone just, um, I don't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable. I don't want to make anyone, you know, upset because I know that the, the this particular episode is titled Stranger Things Season 2 General Thoughts. Um, I'm not going to get to that for a while. Just FYI, you guys can just, those of you who want to get straight to that, scrub ahead, just fast forward um, between now and then, and I just want to make this perfectly clear, between now and then, I'm going to read some iTunes reviews, I'm going to answer some uh, listener email, and I'm just going to keep everyone you know, updated. There's just going to be general thoughts before I get to the Stranger Things general thoughts. Um, so that I just wanted to, to make that perfectly clear, because there has been some you know, listeners who haven't liked that part, but I know for the most part, a lot of you do. Um, and I, I know that I, I just, I want to make sure that I kind of kept everyone updated on, on all things Stephen King, all things horror or Stephen King, you know, Stephen King related and my life. Because last, uh, when last I checked in, um, I was in the process of, of moving, getting ready to move. Um, and, oh, sorry, if you guys hear the clitter clatter of of, of, of nails, it is not Santa Claus with his reindeer. Those are my my two furry co-hosts who are currently uh, getting used to their, their new room, um, which I am recording out of right now, in a new house, in a new Stephen King cast cave, or whatever I'm calling the, <laughs> this, this place of location. It's, it's the new home. My wife and daughter and I, we've been here for the last couple weeks now. We're all getting used to it. It's great. Um, we're really, really enjoying it, and I'm enjoying being able to finally sit down and, and get my thoughts out. So... Today I'll be talking about Stranger Things, uh, season two. It's it is the day before Christmas Eve. It was released uh, in the days leading up to, to Halloween, so I I know that I'm way way behind the eight ball on this one. I, I really missed that that moment of conversation about Stranger Things season two, and I apologize for not being able to deliver the episode by episode analysis that I had for Stranger Things season one. Which isn't to say that I'm not going to be able to do it. It's just um, with with the <laughs> oh, just with uh, the, the the house and everything having to do with with packing up the house, selling the house, uh, being able, to, being ready to to leave at a moment's notice if someone wanted to look at the house, um, the the whole nine yards. I, I wasn't able to to review every episode, but I still have some stuff to say about Stranger Things, and I do want to talk about Stranger Things, and I know that you've all been interested in my thoughts on Stranger Things, so um, that's what I'm going to be talking about today. 
I do have some time on my hands over the next couple weeks, so one of my Christmas presents is Joe Hill's Strange Weather. So I hope that the next time I sit down to record, I will be able to review Joe Hill's collection of, of four short stories or four novellas, Strange Weather, which again came out in, in October. Um, and I'm very, very excited about that. I enjoyed reading The Fireman last year. I enjoy uh, Joe Hill's shorter stuff. 20th Century Ghost is a masterpiece in my in my opinion, which you can listen to all of my thoughts on 20th Century Ghosts here at the Stephen King cast, just head back a couple years in the feed. Um, so that that's where that's where we are, and that is where I am heading. And then, um, you know, throughout the course of 2018, I will hopefully start to be able to to get back on my feet on a more uh, consistent basis for recording. I uh, still have to. I haven't even tackled. Uh, my thoughts on the rest of the Skeleton Crew short stories or the Nightmare on Dreamscape short stories or Everything's Eventual, Just After Sunset. Every, all of those short stories that I didn't um, touch the first time around, I'm going to be reviewing. Um, there's a whole bunch of movies that I haven't talked about um, that I want to get to. Dolan's Cadillac is one of them. Um, so there's a lot. There's definitely going to be a lot to talk about uh, during the course of the, the 2018 uh, year. So I'm excited. I'm excited for um, putting 2017 in the past, as a lot of us are, and looking ahead to, to 2018, which we will also see the release of Stephen King's next book, The Outsider, uh, which I believe is scheduled for the spring. So I'm excited about that. But aside from all of the... Um, Stephen King-related works that I will be reviewing. I have recently begun a Twin Peaks The Return um, rewatch. I've been obsessed with this show um, even before it it aired. And for longtime listeners, you know that I'm very interested and you know that I love David Lynch's works, um, especially Twin Peaks. So I have put together some thoughts and, you know, Make a long story short, um, my next endeavor might be a, a limited event, much like Twin Peaks The Return was. I am looking forward to hoping to have a, a second podcast going in which I discuss uh, Twin Peaks the, the Return. There was a lot of podcasts uh, to listen to about Twin Peaks the, the Return this summer, but that was covering each episode on a week-to-week basis um, in real time. Now that it's concluded, now that we've had a few months to sit with it, um, digest it, think about it, reflect on the entirety of it, um, that's really my next step. Um, And I want to be able to really think about what David Lynch and Mark Frost created over 18 episodes how it gels together as a whole, not episodically, um, and well, and then review it, you know, with episode to episode, um, and then just seeing how these pieces fit into the larger puzzle that they put together over 18 episodes. So that is something that I want to start to work on, um, which would not air for quite some time, but. Um, once I get uh, you know enough episodes under my belt, I can start publishing those, which would not take away from the Stephen King cast. That's one thing that I want to make perfectly clear is any recording that I do for any Twin Peaks-related podcast, it would not take away from any Stephen King cast-related works. Uh, so fans of Stephen King and Twin Peaks, uh, 2018 might be good for you. Um, those of you who um, are Stephen King fans only haven't dabbled in Twin Peaks or David Lynch don't worry this is not going to take me away from from doing the the Stephen King cast it will only be when I have accumulated enough episodes on uh, any Twin Peaks related podcast um, that I would start putting it out there so I wouldn't be competing with myself I would be just finding the time to get a bunch of episodes recorded and ready to go Um, and hopefully I'll be able to uh you know, say to you that I'm, you know, putting out two episodes a week, one of the Stephen King cast, one of the Twin Peaks, whatever it's going to be called. But I'll have more information for for that in, in the weeks to come. I'm very, very excited. And it gives me a chance to be able to revisit uh, the, the world of Twin Peaks one more time, one last time. Um, so Shadow, take me down for the last time, says the Chromatics. Um, okay, guys, so what I'm going to be doing now 
um, is I'm going to read some iTunes reviews because I can't do it without you. Uh, so thank you guys. I got a ton of iTunes reviews lately. Um, and, and the first of which, um, the, the newest batch, comes from C. Johnson 99508 who simply writes, uh, great podcast, five stars. Um, thank you so much, C. Johnson 99508 And then up next, we have Headshot Walk, who writes, love this guy. If you enjoy Stephen King, then this podcast is for you. Not only is the host informative, he's also fair. Points out the good with the bad. Always look forward to every episode. Headshot Walk, thank you so much. And then we have Lou7575 who writes, Scholarly and interesting. This podcast is awesome in the way it combines a scholarly and intelligent examination of the books and movies of Stephen King with constant readers' casual wit and clear love of the material. Thank you, Lou7575. I do try to uh, keep them scholarly. Um, I, For whatever reason, I, I, I have been thinking a lot about Dr. Sleep lately, and uh, I knew that I had a lot of thoughts on Dr. Sleep, so I went back and I actually listened to my episode about, about Dr. Sleep. Um, and the points that I had completely forgotten about the points that I made on Dr. Sleep because I, I think that I had read some some criticism of Dr. Sleep for not being the, the shining and that made me go out and say, well, what, what did I think about that? And I, um, you know, it, it, it just reminded me the, the bar that I want to set for myself um, when, when I sit down for these episodes to, to really you know, make it, you know, get my subjectivity out there and let everyone know what my subjectivity is, but try and keep it as as objective as possible um, and make my points and back it up. And, you know, I I, I hope that I continue to do that. So you hold me accountable um, to to being as as scholarly as I possibly can. Then Chetty16 writes, a must. I'm keeping it simple here. All other pods should strive to be like the Stephen King cast. The amount of work Constant Reader puts into this podcast ascends him to gunslinger status. For all you do for King fans, I say thank you, Cy. Well, thank you, um, Chetty16. That's that's high praise. Thank you very, very much. And then Noble6163 writes, everything is 19, five stars. For the constant reader, a chronological and critical review of the entire kingdom, tropes and traits are contrasted and compared for many of King's overlapping worlds and storylines. It's great for the eminent sage and tower junkie. Thank you, Noble6163. Oh, my dogs are asking for water. Hold on. And I'm back. Um, And then we have M-O-O-N spells awesome. If you're a fan of, and this is from Miranda L8302, I apologize for the slurping noise in the background, but those are my furry co-hosts who are really enjoying the Christmas gift of water that I just gave them. So if you are a fan of Stephen King, you must listen to this podcast. The host is extremely knowledgeable, and listening to him is like having a conversation with a smart friend about your favorite books. I love that he's not just a total fanboy. He's willing to be critical when the work warrants it, but always with an attitude of affection and respect to King. This constant listener can't wait for the next show. So thank you. So I mean, it's that kind of stuff is exactly what I need. You know, it, it, it keeps me straight. It keeps me narrow. It, it reminds me of, of what I'm trying to do here. You know, I don't want to just be a fanboy and just gush over everything he does. I really want to, you know, pull his works apart, take them apart, examine each each component, hold it up to the, the standards that he's set for himself. So thank you very much. Then Mommy Nichols writes, doesn't get better for a King fan. Having been a huge King fan since I was in sixth grade after checking out Carrie from my Catholic school library to do a book report and my teacher sending me a note to my mom, my mom did not care. Reading is reading. Thanks, mom. I came to a point where I was listening to so many books on Audible and did a search to see if any other constant readers out there were talking about him and I found this amazing podcast. I love the host's calming voice and his insight into the books. I've been hooked for a couple of years now and recommend it to all my family and friends who are constant readers themselves. No other Stephen King podcasts compare to this one. He is the real deal. Do yourself a favor and download now. Thank you, Mommy Nichols. I really, really appreciate it. And then we have Tommy Knocker. That's Tommy K. Knocker. Um, Must listen for constant readers. I've been a constant reader for about the same amount of time as the host, and we are around the same age, it seems. There's There's a lot to love about this podcast and his analyses, and little left to be desired unlike many of the other King-related podcasts. I tend to agree with the host on most of his points, especially the Tommy Knockers episode. I was so happy to hear a fair review for what I think is an incredible, incredibly underrated novel that gets mistreated. Five stars. Thank you, Tommy K. Knocker. Um, I can definitely see why you chose that name. 
Then we have uh, Finey4, who writes an enjoyable, in-depth podcast, strongly recommended for King Nerds. Um, and then we have DJ Darkside, my guy. A, that's the title of the, 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 the review. A true constant reader, the real deal. Breaks it down, takes it seriously, gives each work scholarly consideration. Definitely make sure you've already consumed what he's, being, what he's discussing before listening, as he will read an overview first before diving into the breakdown slash discussion. And then we have Mr. Constant Reader Ed, who writes, This podcast is Ka. Thank you for your insights on The King, and I highly appreciate the comparisons between the novels and the films. Thank you very much. And then MM21977 writes, This is one of the best podcasts I've heard. Your review of the works gives me a new perspective when I go back and read King's work. Keep it up. Thank you very much. Then we have St. Lex, who writes, Hello, all constant readers out there. I've been listening to the podcast for about one year now, and I wrote a review, but I, I told you I wrote a review, but I, I guess I didn't. This podcast is a must if you are a fan of Stephen King or is just interested in his works. This podcast shows such insight and knowledge that when I listen to other podcasts, they often left me down. Thanks for spoiling us, constant reader. It's such a resource of info regarding King's material that I wonder if Stephen King himself has ever been contacted has ever contacted you regarding being on it or list a phone interview. Um, we started listening because I work overnights and it's a good way to pass the time without falling asleep and this cast opened up my world to so many great books from Stephen King to his son books and even others that I never really knew about. Thanks again for doing such a great job and I also really enjoyed your review, albeit tired review, of Sleeping Beauties. I was also wondering if you read Fireman by Joe Hill. Yes, I did. Um, I reviewed it last Christmas time. Also, did you have did you do a review of Nosferatu? Yes, uh, a couple Christmases ago. I don't remember if you did. Also, sorry about the also's. What do you think about the story, um, Library Policeman? Please subscribe if you haven't yet, people. Um, thank you so much um, for writing in uh, St. Lex. I, I really, really appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> and I do apologize, everyone, for the yawns during Sleeping Beauties. Like I said, I just really wanted to get you guys a uh, an episode. Um, I didn't have a lot of time on my hands. It was not um, an in-joke because I was reading something called Sleeping Beauties while yawning the entire time. I really was tired, but I wanted to push through it. And I didn't edit it out. Sorry. I'm very sorry. Um, and then we have number one KingCast who writes, to stay off the top, I don't typically enjoy listening to podcasts with single hosts. This is about the only one I can listen to as the host does a great job keeping the one-sided conversation interesting. It's great to have someone go in so in-depth in the entire Stephen King universe. I don't have much to say other than I enjoy this podcast and would greatly recommend it to anyone who wants to hear more about King's content. And then we have Sixer57 who writes, new loyal, loyal listener who writes, been listening to a few Stephen King pods lately and stumbled across this one. I've been a fan of King's work for decades and just recently started working through his library on audiobooks. This podcast gives great analysis and is entertaining. Um, so thank you, everyone. I cannot stress it enough. Thank you. It's the greatest Christmas gift that I could receive as a podcaster to know that I have people out there listening that are supporting me uh, through these great reviews. So if you haven't done so already, please feel free to head on over to iTunes uh, and, and leave a review. Um, I'm currently at 209 reviews. Needless to say, I would love just that even number of 210. So if you haven't done so already, just just head on over. It's, it'll only take a minute just to type up a review and just send it that way to get me over that that 210 hump. That would be a great way for me to to wake up on Christmas morning and 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 see that. So thank you everyone for for doing that. Up next, I'm going to read some uh, emails. Up first, we have Kyle who writes, Hi there. Wanted to say that I started listening to your podcast recently and I can't stop. I think it's inter interesting what you say about how and when people started reading King. For me, I think I have somewhat tied for reading King at the youngest. I read a copy of my mother's Night Shift when I was eight years old. I read the whole book from end to end. I was born in 1970. I think it's his best short story work, but then I might be biased because it was the first book of his that I read. To this day, I can't stand seeing a closet door cracked open. I always shut it. Always. Now, that's spooky in itself. I think people miss the emotion of the boogeyman. Though it's horror at its finest, there are also parts in it that make us want to cry. Lester's poor, helpless children saying, Boogeyman especially gets to me since I raised children of my own. They are now 17 and 18 respectively, and they think it is the greatest thing since sliced bread. By the way, I think what you said about the ending of The Boogeyman is interesting. Spoiler alert for The, the Boogeyman and my review of The Boogeyman. Um, 
You seemed to write it off as a shortcut. The ending gave me chills up my spine that has never been matched by any book, short story, or movie. Why? Because evil is hiding in our most trusted people. It isn't the ugly homeless person walking down the street or the person who steals to feed his family. No. It's a trusted advisor we seek knowledge and or help from, especially these days. All heroes are dead. Just a thought. So I, I, I would say that of any review I've ever done on this show, the one that has generated the most feedback has been my flippant dismissal of the boogeyman in my review of Night Shift. Um, way back in the early days of the Stephen King cast. I'm still clearly uh, getting... Um, uh, feedback on it to this day, which is great, which is great. And this is exactly why I need uh, the listener email. I need you guys to write in because my just immediate dismissal of the boogeyman um, just led to some really, really great conversations. And I love that there, there's more, more and more, uh, you know, thoughts and opinions pouring in. So, so keep that up. And then um, Kyle continues, your podcast is brilliant. The episode analyzing the book, The Shining, and the movie, The Shining, was superior. Why does anyone mention the Martians in the book? Martinis, LOL. Um, I've written about 10 short stories myself, my dark half, LOL, that have been published online in literary journals. I write exactly like Kim, except more in the crime genre. I don't envy much in this world. What I do envy is to have 10% of the talent and success that King has had. Keep up the great podcasts. Um, constant readers are listening. Regards. Um, so thank you so much. Um, I really, really appreciate writing. Keep up the, the your own work. I think that that's important, that those of us who, who dabble in the, the genre ourselves, just keep it up. I know that I have really fallen behind. Um, and so I'll make ex any excuse under the sun, um, but I have not been holding up my end of the bargain. But anyone out there listening, I'm going to encourage you to, to, to put your own stamp on the horror genre. Just sit down, take a few moments, write your own stories. I think that's important. And then I have Tyne who writes, Hello, Constant Reader. I've been wanting to write to you ever since I heard your very first podcast a few months ago. I'm new to podcasts, as I didn't think I had room for yet another media in my life. But since then, I've been working my way through all of your episodes at record speed. I find that I have a comment to almost every episode, but I'll try and keep it relatively short and maybe write you again some other time. I'm just so pleased to find a podcast to nerd out to because other than my dad, I don't really know a lot of King readers. I'm a 32-year-old woman from Denmark, and let me just start off by apologizing for our country's poor contribution to the Stephen King universe lately. Nikolai Arcel is from Denmark, and while I didn't really like the Dark Tower movie, I thought it was evident that he's at least a big fan himself. The Mist series is also created by a Dane, Christian Torp, with a Danish actress as Mia. I don't really have anything good to say about that, so let's just move on. Let me end this apology by reminding you that Denmark is also the country of Lars von Trier and Mads Mikkelsen. So, um, Tyne, the fact that Mads Mikkelsen is um, is from your country more than makes up for uh, Nikolai Arcel's Dark Tower, which is not his fault, um, and the Mist series. Um, Mads Mikkelsen um, is a treasure to all of us. His work on Hannibal was a godsend to me. He redefined that character. Um, and I'm keeping my fingers crossed because what I want to see is I want to see Mads Mikkelsen play Doctor Doom in a Marvel Studios uh, produced and... Um, why can't I think of the word? But anyway, but I want to see him play Doctor Doom um, because Disney has recently acquired 20th Century Fox, and so the Fantastic Four will now go home um, with the, the rest of the Marvel characters, and I can't think of anyone better than Mads Mikkelsen to, to play that role. Anyway, so Tyne continues, I've been a constant reader even before realizing it. My dad is an avid constant reader himself and very interested in mythology, witches, and horror. My very first introduction to King was when I was a small child and afraid of monsters in my room. My dad wrote a poem in Danish and hung it on my wall, and only years later did I realize it was the one from Cujo. Later on, I curiously looked at all of the King covers on his bookshelf, and I remember being most drawn to Salem's Lot and the drawing of the three, and I couldn't wait to read them. 
When I was five, the IT miniseries was shown on television, and my dad wanted to record it. In order to do so, the TV had to be turned on to the channel, but I was playing in the living room, so my dad put a blanket over the TV. Needless to say, it was too fascinating for me, so after a few minutes, I went to peek under the blanket. And what happens in the very first minutes of the movie? You guessed it. I accidentally had my very first meeting with Pennywise in the sewers. It wasn't too bad, though. It mostly just awoke my interest, and when I later read It, it immediately became my favorite novel. I also have to give you compliments on your episodes regarding everything It-related. It's clear that you love the story. A few years later, my dad ceremoniously gave me his copy of Cycle of the Werewolf. It was a good place to start. I learned to read very early and was soon reading books way beyond my age range. After Cycle of the Werewolf, I just kept going. Now I've had everything, now I've read everything and have my own copy of every book, and I actually dedicate a big part of my very small blog to Stephen King. I'm also currently rereading all of his works and writing some thoughts about them, but my very modest amount of followers mostly don't comment on those posts at all. That's all right. Now I have your podcast and all of your listeners to geek out with, so thank you for that. Thank you is actually tack in Danish. Imagine reading Desperation with that knowledge. Speaking of your podcast, I love everything about it. You have a pleasant voice. Thank you. I really like the structure of the episodes, and the music is spot on. You mentioned seeing The Darkness live in concert, and I can absolutely support that recommendation. It's just such a good experience. I love all of your three co-hosts, and I crack up every time one of your dogs misbehaves. I'm also a big fan of your references and mentions of other media and pop culture, maybe because I like a lot of the same things you do. David Lynch, Lost, Justin Cronin's Vampire Trilogy are just a few of the names that come to mind. And then you mentioned that you could imagine the characters or actors from The Leftovers and Sleeping Beauties of your review of that book. I totally see that. No, really, that's such a good call. The Leftovers has been my favorite television series from the last few years, and everyone should watch it. Next, I have a few comments on some of your other episodes. First of all, I understand why you try to stay clear of politics and religion in your podcast, but I must say that I love it when you go rambling a little bit about politics anyway. I'm thinking about the 11-22-63 episodes and, of course, the big Jim Rennie-Trump comparison in Under the Dome. Luckily, most of your, uh, us Europeans know that not all Americans are like Trump, but it is scary when a guy like him suddenly is in such power um, of such a big and important country and when we see our own politicians following him oh well that was a side note but let me underline that it adds the value of your podcast when you put current complicated events in context with king's works just like he does himself some of my favorite episodes of your podcast are naturally the ones about the dark tower series your enthusiasm shines through, and I love your many observations and your key eye for details. I have one comment, however, and that is why is on you not having Roland in your top 10 heroes list. I think I understand your reasoning why, but I might have to disagree. In my opinion, in the bigger perspective of things, Roland is sacrificing something small and insignificant, not for him or us, though, in order to save the universe. His reasons might be selfish, but I would still argue that he's fighting for what he believes is right. I understand that doesn't always make someone a hero. You can believe in a lot of messed up things, but I feel that Roland is really trying. He's able to make some hard choices for what he believes will help on his quest, and while that's not necessarily heroic, it takes a lot of courage and determination. Well, I guess he'll always be a hero to me. Lastly, I don't mean to be too personal or oversharing, but I've struggled with depression and self-harming in my past, and I still have to live with my OCD, though it's gotten much easier over the years. Fortunately, maybe that's why King's more recent works really resonate with me. He was spot on in both the short story N and in Lisi's story, which I really like. I really admire him for being able to write such powerful stories from a lot of different perspectives, just like I've always been fond of his strong women books, Dolores Claiborne, Gerald's Game, and Rose Matter, since I find that he pretty accurately describes being female. Hey, I wanted to mention your own work. Listening to the episodes of the podcast in such quick succession made me really remember the names of the anthologies with your published short stories. And this week I received both Wax and Wayne, which is the perfect Christmas gift for my father, as well as Dark Moon Digest number 22. I really enjoy your story, Hopscotch. It reminded me of the Raw Doll story, The Witches, where someone gets trapped in a painting. It scared me to death when I was a kid. Room 207 was very enjoyable. You paint such clear scenery in the reader's head. The descriptions are vivid, and the ending was nice. I hope to get read. I hope I get to read more someday. Um, so I mean, first of all, I thank you. Thank you for actually purchasing those those collections. Um, I, I just it, it's weird to get feedback uh, about something that you know. It's easy for me to 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 
you know, provide criticisms and feedback to works that other people have written, like Stephen King. But to actually hear someone say things about something that I have done is it's a very, very strange thing. But thank you very much. I enjoyed writing both of those short stories. Um, I really, really enjoyed writing uh, Room 207. That one came very, very quickly in my mind, and it just it came out. Um, so thank you. I, I hope that you guys, I hope that, I hope that you had fun with it. Um, so this has gotten super long, even though I tried to keep it short. I wanted to make a top 10 of some kind, but that's for another day. It's totally fine if you don't read it aloud on your podcast too late. I just really appreciate and have someone to share my enthusiasm with. Long days and pleasant nights, all the way from Copenhagen, Tyne. P.S. Thank you for the mentions of Ka-Tet19. I'm currently the owner of four beautiful t-shirts and two awesome tote bags. P.P.S. I just ordered tickets for me and my boyfriend's summer vacation. We're going to Boston. I have a friend who currently lives there, and I can't wait to go to Stephen King country. P.P.P.S. Um, uh, this is the link to my Stephen King section of my blog. It's in Danish, but maybe you'd like to see my collection, even though only the paperbacks are displayed. So you would go to the following, http backslash backslash musicismysecret.blogspot.dk backslash p backslash stephen-king.html. Thank you, Tyne. Thank you for all of that. Uh, just one thought on the top 10 list. Um, I wish I could go back, and I might go back again, and because I made the mistake of the top 10 lists, I did what drives me nuts about top 10 lists is I did not make a clear delineation between subjectivity and objectivity. Um, and I need to go back and look to see if the top 10 lists are best or favorite because those will completely change the top 10 lists depending on what the category is, whether it's top 10 favorite or top 10 best. Um, and I think that I kind of lost sight of that in my top 10 um, when I made all of the top 10 lists a couple years ago. So that that's that's... I just want to put that out there that I, I I don't know how much stock you should put in my top 10 lists because um, I was very uh, distracted, I believe, at that time in my life. My wife was pregnant and I had a lot of other things on my mind. Okay, up next, um, we have news from, uh, you know, One for the Road. <laughs> So listeners might remember that earlier this summer, I held an interview with Josh Brucker from, uh, from One for the Road. Now, One for the Road is a uh, Stephen King short story found within the um, pages of Shift. And um, Josh Brucker has acquired the rights to, to turn into a movie. And so Josh and I had a great conversation this summer. You can find the, uh, the interview on my podcast, and he has an update here. And he writes, hey, man, hope all is well. Thanks so much for taking the time to read this email. I know that it's been some time since there have been any updates, so I wanted to share with you personally where this project is currently standing. Right now, One for the Road is currently in full pre-production swing. We've completely taken down the project down to its frame, so now we're currently building it back up. We plan to film sometime in early 2018 in or around the Minneapolis, Minnesota area. The film is still on its way, and the budget is roughly 90% covered, so we're moving forward. We've done very well securing private funding from individuals within the industry and will continue to do so. Lance Hendrickson is still on board at this moment, and we've got big plans too, which will further include the entire Salem's Lot universe. We are going to tackle this short film and show everyone our talents and capabilities, but we're thinking of the bigger picture at the same time. That's all I can really divulge. We've got some great talent coming into this project thus far. We're developing the look of the film, and I say that we're very heavily influenced by the film 30 Days of Night. Brutal, bloody, cold, and dark. I began working with a new production company now, so that's why there has been a delay in production, just waiting for the time to get one for the road up and running. Thank you so much again for your continued shout-outs as well. You, uh, your early support kept this project alive. Um, this is all relatively fresh information. I hope it certainly finds you well, and I hope that your listeners will be pleased also. Um, if you have any questions, don't hesitate to ask. Um, Talk soon and take care, Josh. So, Josh, this is incredible news. I just wanted to share that with everyone out there. There was after I um, 
we had our interview um, after all of the updates. I know that there was a lot of interest in One for the Road. Um, so I'm glad that that uh, the, the One for the Road um, larger Stephen King cinematic universe is continuing to expand. Um, so if you have any anyone listening, if you have any questions, feel free to um, shoot me an email and I'll make sure that, that Josh gets it. Or you can go to um, One for the Road. If you type that in at, at Facebook, it'll bring you to the... Um, the website uh, or one for the road 2018.com uh, will bring you to the official website itself. So we're very, very excited about uh, one for the road. And when I have updates, I'll be able to get that to you as soon as possible. Okay, guys, um, we are now at uh, just over half an hour and let's talk about Stranger Things. So when Stranger Things came out uh, last summer, it took the internet by storm. It was a, um, a, a wholly original uh, story, so it wasn't a remake, it wasn't a sequel, it wasn't a reboot. I mean, certainly it was very heavily inspired by um, 80s films and the works of Stephen King, which is why I'm talking about it now. Um, but it was new, and I think that that newness is what really drew people to it, that uh, they, they, were, they didn't come to Stranger Things with pre-existing memories and notions. We all formed our memories at the same time with Stranger Things. And the anticipation was hot waiting for Stranger Things season two to drop. And I know that there was a lot of people that were disappointed when um, there was no Stranger Things season two uh, during the summer. And we had to wait excruciatingly long to get to the fall when it was going to air. But anyone that watched it knew the fact that it was going to be dropping right before Halloween. That was perfect timing. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to watch it when it first came out. All I wanted to do was just binge it, but just because my life was so busy at that time, I wasn't able to. Um, but in the day or two before Halloween, um, we were able, my wife and I, we were able to finally, finally sit down in front of the television in my former house at this point. And I will have, I always have distinct memories of sitting down in my darkened basement turning on that television, getting Netflix ready to go, seeing the Stranger Things Chapter 2 homepage on the screen. I had my uh, plug-in jack-o'-lantern right next to the television, so that kind of added to the ambiance. And just selecting that and just sitting back and letting Stranger Things Season 2 wash over me, it just, there was a lot of... uh, Life was really busy. There was a lot of chaos at that time, um, but that was just a great stabilizing influence, and I loved it, and I loved how right away we saw the stars, um, just like we did with the first opening shot of the first season, and it pans down not to reveal that government location um, in, in Hawkins, but instead it was a city. So this is what I wanted out of it. I wanted it to expand the world, not keep it so localized. And this was a great way to begin to really illustrate that it was still in the same universe, but different. You know, we see this, this, uh, this, this car chase between a group of hooligans and the police. Um, and then when, um, Callie unleashes her power in that moment, oh, and spoiler reviews guys for the entirety of season, uh, season two, I immediately thought of Firestarter and Andy McGee. This, her powers are directly from Firestarter um, and and Charlie McGee's um, uh, father's um, powers um, to to make people uh, see things. And so, I mean, even the blood coming down her nose, I know, which is in line with Eleven in season one. But seeing the blood come down and take a physical toll, that is straight from Firestarter. So. That was one thing that I immediately said, well, there, there's my intro to the Stephen King cast once I start talking about it. Immediately we have a Stephen King reference. Um, but then, yeah, it cuts down to her wrist. We see that she's number eight of um, the 11 experiments, and it's just a great way to start this show. It continues to open up the world, um, and we don't know really where, where it's going to go from there. And then the credits hit, and how happy were all of us to, to hear those credits again. Um of all of the, the the opening credits to any television show, I think that Stranger Things credits are 
are, are definitely up there. It's so, they're just so well done. I mean, the, the music and the credits themselves are, are just, uh, they're, they're masterful. And then to, to hear that, to see that red flare of the two over the Stranger Things logo, it was a brilliant touch. So, I mean, let me just talk about the characters. And I think that the, by talking about the characters, I'll be able to really summarize my thoughts on this season. Um, so up first, our main character is Mike. Um, Mike was our uh, vehicle really into this world in, in season one. He was Will's best friend. He's the one that really took it on himself to, to lead this 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 manhunt, so to speak. He was the one who's we just followed. Um, he was the one that fell in love with Eleven and he was our main character. Um, unfortunately, I, I don't know if it's because he was currently filming uh, it at the same time. I, I don't know, but um, uh, Finn Wolfhard doesn't really have much to do. Um, I was really looking forward to, to seeing him in season two, see him continue to develop as an actor because between Stranger Things and his incredible turn as Richie in it, I mean, he's really demonstrated that he has a lot of variety within his repertoire at such an early age, and I was really looking to see him continue to expand his skills. Unfortunately. Um, Mike just doesn't have much to do other than kind of play second fiddle to uh, to Will and to um, just pine over the fact that Eleven is gone. So that that was that was unfortunate. Um, but you know, hopefully when when season three rolls around, he his his role is expanded. Now I will say that because Mike so much of the the show focused on Mike in season one, it was good that we got a distribution of of characters in in season two, um, including Will. Now, uh, Honest Trailers did a really good job at highlighting the similarities between Stranger Things and The Hangover, and um, the, the fact that Will is the Josh character from The Hangover, largely absent from uh, the first season, much in the way that um, Josh was absent, I think that was the character's name, in The Hangover, and we got to know the, the other characters. There was a big gamble whether or not the season two would be able to capture the same magic because the ingredients were different. Now we are going to be following all of their um, relationships, um, and you know, a, a gang or a group can change. You know, when you add uh, another variable, and he was going to be that variable. And luckily, luckily, the Duffer brothers and everyone in casting, um, they continued to show how good they were when they cast these actors um, because it was a gamble whether or not Will was going to be able to add anything. Because in season one, Will. Really, he was reactionary um, when we did see him. He was really just shivering in an alien dimension. He had a lot put on his shoulders this season. He had a lot asked of him um, between just suffering from the PTSD, from being in the upside down, you know, trying to live a normal life while at the same time just suffering from nightmares and flipping over into that world, and then the whole possession arc he had a lot to do, and he did it really well. Um, I would say that his performance is as strong as Millie Bobby Brown's was in the first season. It it was incredible. It was heartbreaking. The 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 first season revolved around him missing, um, but this season revolves around him being possessed, um, and it's heartbreaking to watch, again, poor Joyce, um, have to just watch her son, in this case, not just not be there, but suffer. And there's nothing that she can do about it. And um, I was very, very impressed with Will. As I was impressed with what the writers did with Lucas, I'm so glad that they, they beefed him up, they fleshed him out a little bit more. Um, I, I, I just, I, I really like what they did with this character. I love how they opened up his own world a little bit more by giving us his family, um, especially Erica. If there is an MVP of this season, it is hands down Erica. Um, she is an incredible addition, incredible comic relief, a lot of fun whenever she popped up. I mean, she what, what was great was that they didn't overuse her. But when she did show up, her just... The way that she would constantly attack him and just cut him down. It was great. This character was great. Um, and and through Lucas, we were able to really address the, the, the racial situations in Hawkins in a way that I wish that the, um, 
the, the directors of It had done uh, was a 2017 adaptation of It. I just feel like they didn't really get to the race component um, through Mike, but I they definitely did with um, with Lucas here. Whether or not it's the the Winston conversation that a lot of people have been talking about um, when they were all dressed up as Ghostbusters, um, to his his relationship with Max and how Billy does not want him to hang or does not want you know um, Max to hang out with Lucas. Um, the, these are they, they weren't really focused on, they weren't plot points, but they were sprinkled in enough just to, to show um, that, that he is going to struggle in ways that the other characters aren't going to struggle. And even though they're friends, they still don't really have a clue what that's like. And so I really like what they did. What I did not like what they did was everything they did with Dustin. I feel like they retooled that character in a way that made the character suffer. And he was a breakout star of the first season and this is nothing to do with the actor who continued to just knock every scene that he was in out of the ballpark i just feel the material that they gave him really uh made the character um edgier uh more sarcastic a little bit meaner than he was the first season um you know, I mean, he was rude to adults in a way that I think was supposed to be funny for audiences, but I think it was a disservice to the character that I didn't like. And the whole plot with D'Artagnan um, was foolish. Um, and it kind of reeks of needing to give characters something to do. And I just don't believe that after these children witnessed a slimy otherworldly entity try and kill them that any one of those characters would go out of their way to befriend a slimy alien entity uh that pops up out of the blue i i i think that what they did with that plot line was tense and fun but it doesn't hold up in or under any scrutiny i think that it is a um it is a a, a chink in the armor of this show um, I, I hope that they learn their, from the from this that they don't saddle their characters with nonsensical um, plot points just to keep them going forward. Because the more they they do that, I think the more they they're going to dilute um, the potency of Stranger Things. I was very very disappointed with Dustin. I, I with that said, the the D'Artagnan plot I didn't like his kind of rough around the edges quality that they gave him I did not like. However, with all that said, his relationship with Steve, his unexpected relationship with Steve, was by far one of the highlights of the show. Um, I'll get to Steve in a second, but like just Steve taking him under his wing and him looking up to Steve um, w was was great. I mean, and, and it, without them saying that he needs a father figure in his life... Um, it's, it's clear from his relationship with his mother. There is no father. It, tell, it says a lot about Dustin. And then here's this older guy who is giving him advice, and he takes right to it. The fact that that's never talked about but just there is a testament to how well this show is written, how well the characters are fully fleshed out. Um, so I just really, really appreciate that. Even though I had problems with what they did with Dustin, I really did appreciate that. Um, we were introduced to two new characters, Max and Billy. Um, Max, I like the idea for the character. Um, I just don't think that they really gave that character much to do. Um, I don't think that the... I, I liked the concept of a tough-as-nails uh, girl. Um, I just don't think that it was very well executed. Um, I think that this suffered from too many characters not having enough to do. Uh, I... I she functioned mostly as a, a plot point to drive a wedge between friends. I understand that. And we got enough to know that there were issues between her and her brother, but I did not like, um, I, I just, I did not walk away feeling as, oh, yo, Max, she was a fully realized character. I did not see that. Nor was Billy, our, our, her, her older brother. He was over the top. He was a caricature. Um, he was ridiculous. He was in a completely different show of his own. With all that said, he was one of my favorite parts about this show because he was so over the top. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. He stole every scene he was in, and he was in my favorite scene 
of this season, which was the scene between him and Mike's mom. That was incredible. I, that was just so fun, so unexpected. Uh, it was great. It was great. When the show was just getting more and more intense, they just threw this comedic beat that he knocked out of the park. It was it was great. He's Rumor has it he's up for the role of Nightwing. I think that he would be great. Um, and then we have, you know, keeping with the kids, um, Eleven. Uh, of course, Millie Bobby Brown was great, but I'm going to be a little controversial here. I'm going to say that everything about um, Eleven works um, in this season. Everything. Everything, yes. And I'm talking about The Lost Sister. I think that was a very necessary episode. I know that is being ripped apart um, online. I know a lot of people did not like it. Personally, I thought it was very necessary. We need to see her go away. I understand that it takes place right after probably the, the, the most tense the show has ever been. It left us off on a cliffhanger. And there's a lot of criticism about how we had to wait. We had to wait until, and you know, it derailed momentum. What are you talking about? This is a show whose every episode dropped at the same time. You don't have to wait weeks in between. You have to wait 50 minutes tops before we check back in what's happening in the facility. So calm down, slow your roll. It didn't derail anything. In fact, it just, all that, you know, what it did is that it made the tension that much greater because you are now away from your characters who you know are in mortal danger. So the entire time you're with Eleven, you're worrying about the other characters. And so I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. I think that it added the tension. It didn't detract from the tension. Uh... So, I mean, and maybe, yes, maybe, you know, I'm kind of a sucker for um, everything having to do with Eleven because she is, this is her seeking out her um, her parents, her mother, and feeling so lost. And um, everything with her and Hopper just really, really um, struck a chord with me. Um, there, every time they were in a, a scene together, like, I was on the verge of just bawling my eyes out. Um, the, the two of them together just work wonders, and I'm just so happy that they were able to find each other and they gained what the other one had lost. And I, I just, I, I, every, the, the entire way that that played out, it was, it was phenomenal. Um, less phenomenal was the Nancy, Jonathan, Steve um, plotline. Um, I, I don't know if we're supposed to like Nancy. I, you know, I don't know if they want us to like her or not. Um, maybe I'm just too Team Steve, but I, I just think the way that she just treats him is unkind, and she is um, stuck up, and I think that she's using Jonathan, and I, I don't know. Maybe I'm misreading it. I don't think that I am, and I'm very curious to see how other people feel about um, this whole plot line. Um, I was really interested to... It was just interesting that the whole justice for Barb, I mean, who would have thought that a meme would inspire this this, this B-plot that actually had a pretty significant um, impact on the resolution of, of the show? Um, I, I wouldn't have expected that, but I do like that a character who was just thrown away in the first season, um, there's ramifications of that, that going forward. Um, and then we have the adults. Um, you know, like I said, Nancy... Um, you know, she has toned it down, uh, and she continues to to just be the, the mother whose children are in peril. I will say that I think they cleaned her house up a bit in a way that I did not find believable. But Winona Reiner continues to do a great job. Sean Astin was inspired casting to have him in the original Goonie um, come in um, in a show that is very reminiscent of the Goonies. Um, and Bob, you know, there's a shirt out there, Bob is the new Barb. It's certainly true. Um, my wife loved... Bob and his scene, his death scene is hard to watch. I mean, the entire time you're one, you know, you know, someone's going to die and, you know, is it going to be Bob? Is it going to be Bob? No, he's going to get out. Oh my God, they're almost out. And then he dies badly. It's a, it's a bad, painful death for just a nice guy. Just a nice guy who, you know, wants to do right by this woman and, and her kids, you know, it's just sad. It was, it was really, really sad. And, um, everything having to do with Bob, he was a good character. You know, I mean, there's times you expected him maybe that he was going to turn out to be a bad guy, but no, Bob was Bob. Bob was a good dude. Um, R.I.P. Bob. Um, what was Paul Reiser's character? I just want to call him Burke. Um, but that, again, inspired casting. And I love how the Duffer brothers subverted our expectations there. 
We, they did not uh, lean into the Burkness. They definitely teased the Burkness of it all. Um, you know, there was definitely moments where you think that he was going to turn our characters, but no, through it all, he was legitimately um, a, a scientist who cared about the people. He cared about this boy. He cared about um, doing what was right and cleaning up the, the, the messes of Brenner um, and what the you know, this organization had done to the, the people and this town, um, he honestly cared. And I really liked how it was a redemption for Paul Reiser, um, who was playing a very similar character to Burke from Aliens. Um, and then we had Hopper. Hopper's great. I mean, what, what can you say? I mean, he continues to just um, punch his way out of things. Um, he doesn't necessarily think things through, but he is just a, a force um, on, on two legs, not always making the best decisions. I mean, him... I was just watching that that argument between him him and Eleven, and it was just it was hard to watch because he was just making the situation worse with every breath that he took. Um, but I like how he isn't this this sage. Um, he is a a mentor and a guide, um, and morally he's right. But he is a a broken, wounded man who is very vulnerable and lashes out. And so I like how faulty he is. And I thought he was going to die in 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 the end. Um, but like I said, I'm glad that he and Eleven um, have each other now, and then he can, she can be his daughter, and um, he can raise her in the open. And that was just, that's just great. It's just great for them. Um, you know, I mean, I, I just, I liked the show. I like what they did with it. I, um, I don't know if it quite captures the same magic, but I don't know if it can capture the same magic because, like I said, it was new. It was just new the first time around, and it's not new anymore. When the show comes back, of course, I'll be excited to see it. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it again, but I wonder if I wonder if it should come back. I because let's talk about the ending for a second. I, I don't think there's a person alive that watches that ending, how sweet it is. Um, and says, yeah, their, their stories should continue. I, I feel like that was a perfect resolution for everyone. Uh, you know, and the beat at the end with the upside down and the monster um, still out there. I mean, it, it, that's good. It's a good tease, but it's not one that we need to see. Um, and I, I imagine that as we head into season three, we will see probably the return of Dr. Brenner. Um, and I imagine that we'll see a plot line with the uh, the other um, the other experimented uh, upon children, um, but because episode seven was so derided by fans, I, I don't imagine. I don't know. I, maybe maybe that there was a plan, and now that plan is scrapped because there was so much negative backlash um, towards that particular episode. I wonder if they, if they've now scrapped that that plot point. But I I I would have guessed that that would have been the plot going forward. But with all that said, I am excited um, about what, what is in store for no other reason than um, I enjoy all of these characters. I enjoy the kids. I enjoy the adults. I enjoy this town, and it'll be good to get back to this town. Um, so, guys, I, that's kind of it for my thoughts on Stranger Things. It was good. I liked it. Um, but what I like is that it was really concerned with doing its own thing. There wasn't a lot of Stephen King tie-ins to it. Not in the way that there were with the, the, the first season, I felt. Um, you know, there was a lot of inspirations from, from other aspects. I mean, uh, Ghostbusters and, uh, you know, Aliens. Um, but uh, but the Stephen Kingness of it all, um, it, it, it kind of forged its own path. So I, I don't know. I don't know if I have really much else to say other than I liked it. I look forward to seeing the, the next season. Um, so guys, that's it. It's just about an hour. This is a shorter episode for the Stephen King cast, but I definitely wanted to get one out before Christmas. Um, I had a couple, had a couple hours on my hands and I wanted to, to get that out. So, um, I do apologize for the abbreviated, uh, review. I don't even want to call it a review, but just my general thoughts on, on Stranger Things. I did want to check off that box. Um, so for anyone wondering how I felt about it, I really enjoyed it and I will rewatch it, uh, 
I look forward to rewatching it when when I get a chance. And so maybe after I rewatch it, I'll I'll take some notes and and give you some more thoughts on it. But for now, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed. It. I had some quibbles, but uh, the the good feelings that that I have for the show um, wash away those quibbles. Um, but uh, but other than that, guys. Um, with whatever it is that you celebrate, I hope you have um, a, a, a great holiday season. Um, I hope that you all have a fantastic new year. If I don't get another episode out before then, to wish you a happy new year. So I, I hope that 2017 ends well for you, and I hope that 2018 begins even better. Um, and so if I don't talk to you before 2018... Um, May you have long days and pleasant nights, and I'll see you here next time where M-O-O-N spells Stephen Kingcast.